it's been a, a pretty, as you would think, a busy week trying to get him, you know, ready to go to Samoa. And uh, uh, Thursday, I think it was afternoon, I had like an hour and I sat down and the Lord just dropped in me what we were supposed to do for the service tonight, you know. And I thought, Lord, I have never taught on that ever in my life. And he said, good. <laughs> but I think you're going to like it. This is what he called it. The anointing, the glory, and the power. Now, Brother Keith has been teaching us about the power, and so it kind of just all went together. And I thought, Lord, now you know I teach ABCs. And he said, that's what I want you to do. About the anointing, the glory, and the power. You know, when you talk about things... And, you, and you're thinking about things, and your heart and your mind is on things, that's when things happen. You noticed they were singing about the anointing tonight. And did you feel the anointing and the presence of God in here tonight? Well, I'm excited about this because Keith don't come home till sometime after the next services, even next weekend. So uh, we got maybe a little bit of time to get into this just a little bit. So uh, I'm excited about it. Will y'all believe with me on it? Because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not just a teacher. We're going to leave that to Keith, okay? So I'm going to share some stories with y'all, and I'm going to tell you some things that the Lord put on my heart over the last few days. The anointing, what is it? What just? And this is going to be so simple that Ned and the first reader can get it, but I want you to get it in your hearts. And I don't want it to be some heavy, heavy something that, that you can't understand. I want you just to think about it with me, you know. The anointing. The anointing in the beginning. Laymen and people in the beginning, they didn't have anything about the anointing or just what we would call a believer today, Christian today, they wouldn't have the anointing. Because the anointing or the presence of God was locked up in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And nobody had access to it. It was kind of kept in the temple. It locked up and nobody had access to it. And God would anoint... Just a few people in the Old Testament you would see. He would anoint the priest, and he would anoint the king, and he would anoint his prophets in the Old Testament. Now, that's not too hard to understand, right? But the anointing was given as kind of a separation to do a job, to equip, to set somebody apart, to do something for God. Not just everybody was given the anointing. It was a precious few people that God was put His anointing on. And the anointing was very, very, very holy. And I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament. If you're reading it, you'll get into it. 
But man, when the presence of God would come, they'd want to get away from it. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. And I think you're going to understand it just a little bit more and understand how it works in today in comparison to how it worked then. And I want us to, to just dive in with both feet about the anointing and how it's relevant and, and used today in our society in comparison to how it was then. In Exodus... Well, we're not going to turn to a bunch of scriptures. I just want you to listen, okay? Keith has you turn to everything, but we'll let him have you turn to everything, okay? So just stay hooked for just a little bit, okay? Um, David, in the Old Testament, was all three types. He was a king, he was a prophet, and he was a priest, so we're going to talk just a little bit about David. I will let them put this up on the board because I think you'll get a kick out of it. 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 1. Now Samuel was a what? Samuel was a prophet. And you'll get a kick out of this story. Most of you know it. Some people don't know it. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethamite, uh, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and he will show thee what you shall do. And thou shalt anoint unto me whom... Say the next word with me. Whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did what the Lord spake and came unto Bethlehem. And the elders of the town did what? Trembled Trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? (laughs) Now why would they do that? Why would they fear or why would they tremble when Samuel was coming? Because this anointing was real. It wasn't just something he had in his head. It wasn't just something fake. It wasn't just something phony. It was something these people knew existed. It wasn't just an imaginary thing. The whole society knew that if Samuel was coming and God had told Samuel to do something or something was going to happen, they knew it was going to happen. And if it was bad, it was going to be bad. And if it was good, it was going to be good. Because Samuel was anointed of who? God. God. Samuel didn't anoint Samuel. Who anointed Samuel? God anointed Samuel. God anointed the priests or the prophets or the kings. 
the priests or the prophets or the kings didn't anoint themselves. God anointed them. So when they came into town, everybody knew they had heard from God. Wasn't just that they had made up something. Wasn't just that they had come there to do their own will. Wasn't just that they were taking something upon themselves to say, this is what's going to happen today. They knew what? God sent them. Right? Okay. We got that established, right? With three people. Who sent them? God. Okay. Let's make sure we're, we're clear on that. All right. Verse 5 said, And he said peaceably, I come to the sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked at Elam. Or however you say his name. I'm real good at pronouncing stuff. And uh, he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height or on his statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. 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 So he's looking at something totally different than you or 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 any of us look at most of the time. He looks right down to the core of everything. And chooses people based upon what? Their heart. heart. So it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside or how you can make everybody else think how good you are. When you walk away from everybody, what does God look at? The heart. So that's what he was looking about here. And he said, Then Jesse called Aminadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, I ain't chose any of these. Samuel said, I don't think I want any of these. No, again, Samuel ain't choosing anybody. Jesse ain't choosing anybody. How many of your parents, how many of you think you know what your kids are going to do? And you kind of help lead them in that direction? Do you think probably Jesse had an idea of which one of his sons would probably make a better king than the other one? Huh? Huh? Absolutely he did. And do you think one of them boys knew which one of them would make the better king? Absolutely they did. They had an idea of which one of them would be a better king. They knew they did. They knew who was supposed to be king, and you can guarantee it ain't this next part. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your kids here, children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keeps the sheep. That can't be him. 
He ain't trained to be no king. He don't know anything about kinging. All he does is watch the sheep and sit out there and play his harp. He ain't the one. This is daddy talking. Daddy's got it figured out, right? Okay. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we'll not sit down till he comes hither. And he sit and brought him in. Now he was Rudy and uh, with all and beautiful in countenance and good to look at. And now the next part, read it with me. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, who said that? Not Samuel and not Jesse. It didn't matter what Samuel thought, and it didn't matter what Jesse thought. Their opinions didn't mean anything. It only mattered what God said, and neither one of them knew it until when? Until God said, it's this one right here that just walked in. Not a second before, not an hour before, not a day before, not a month before. Not until that second did he know that David was the one. So if if they would have tried to pretend they knew something or they'd have tried to add to it, they would have been missing it. They could have sat there and reasoned it out for four days and tried to figure out, well, it has to be the older one. You know, the older one is always the next in line for the throne. And you can put your own interpretations and you can reason it out with your head. They're the smarter one. They've got the most training. And the more you sit there and try to figure something out with your head, what can happen? You can mess up God's plan. Because until God says it, you ain't got it. And that's where people mess up all the time. And they mess up God's plans for their life because God ain't said it yet. And you may have to go through how many? You may have to get to the eighth job. You may have to get to the eighth whatever you're doing. Not spouse. But you may have to get to the eighth thing you're looking at. The eighth car, the eighth this, the eighth question, whatever it is, it may not happen for you overnight. And you may be wondering, how come? But you don't know it till he tells you. And just because you go ahead and say, I'm tired of fooling with this, it don't mean you know it. You just got tired of fooling with this. And he may have been tired and he may have been hungry and it could have been a long time since he ate, but he didn't sit down to eat till he got the answer. Then he said, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, I thought that was funny. I've read this before, but every time I read it, I think it's funny. 
Why did he make his brother stand there and watch? This is the youngest one. Why did he make them stand there and watch him get anointed? Baby brother is now over you. You tell me why. He's now the anointed one. And the Spirit of the Lord came on David. Now, David didn't give himself anything. David didn't anoint himself. David didn't call himself. David didn't give himself anything. David, one minute, was herding sheep, and the next minute, he's anointed to be king. Did David anoint himself? Did David call himself? Did David's daddy call him? Did David's mama call him? Did his brothers call him? Did his sisters call him? Did his grandma give him his anointing because she prayed so hard? Huh? Who is the only one that can put the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Who is the only one who can anoint you? Do you not think that every one of David's brothers would have liked to have been king? Do you not think that every one of his brothers would have liked to have had the Spirit of the Lord come upon them? What if they had prayed night and day? For six months when they heard about it. What if, what if they could have said, Now I want that same spirit on me. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to beg God. What if they got mad and said, I'm a better person than David. I deserve this. I have prayed more to God. I've gone to the temple more than David. I love God more than David. What if they'd done everything right? Would it have mattered? Who chose David? Who chose him? The Lord chose him. Not Samuel. Not Jesse, not his brothers, not Saul. Didn't choose David. And I know I'm sounding very repetitive, but I think you'll get it as we go on. The anointing of God is not something you can give yourself. The call of God is not something you can give yourself. Your grandmother can't call you. Your Aunt Bessie can't call you. Your Uncle Jim can't call you. Another minister can't call you. Huh? 
Somebody can't lay hands on you and prophesy over you and call you. Huh? I don't care if you saw a choir of angels singing over you. Unless God himself called you and anointed you and put his spirit in you, you're not called. It's real simple. Like Brother Hagin said, some were called and some just went. But what happens is, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because it goes with another part, but no, I'm not going to do it. Let's, let's just keep going. When somebody is called, and they actually do, God has called them. David now is called to be king. Did David immediately step into the throne and to the kingship? Was he immediately king? No, he wasn't. What happened? If you recall, he killed somebody. Goliath. You remember that? He killed Goliath. And when he killed Goliath, Saul said, I want you to come back with me, dude. I want you to hang with me. Refresh your memory. Go back and read it sometime. It's in 1 Samuel 18. He says, come and hang with me. And so he started hanging around Saul all the time. What happens when you hang around somebody that knows how to do a job? You learn how to do that job. You hang with them and you watch them. David was anointed king when he was 15 years old. And he didn't take the throne until he was when? Does anybody know? 30 years old. Duh. How many years is that? 15 years. There's a lot of people that maybe do have a call on their life. And God is anointing them to do a job. But it doesn't mean that just because they have a call and an anointing that's beginning in their lives to do something, it doesn't mean that they're in the full end of their ministry. That they're ready to do this end of their ministry. It means it's time to get into training. I'm so thankful that when Keith knew he was supposed to fly planes, he didn't put me in there with him that first day. You know what I mean? And I'm so thankful. I didn't have to ride with him when he was doing all these first loop-de-loops in the sky and twirly-twirls, and I'd have been green as that chair throwing up all over everybody when he was learning. But I am so glad that he learned how to fly an airplane. But it took some time, and it took some training. And how many of you, the very first time, let's see what I can say. Uh, Because most people don't know how to do 
I still don't. Uh, the first time you ever tried to cook a biscuit, anybody in here cook a biscuit? <laughs> Raise your hand up real high. If you can cook a good biscuit from scratch, not out of a can that goes pop. Huh? Used to. Used to? Raise your hand if you can cook a good biscuit. Okay? The very first time you cooked a biscuit, did it turn out right? The second time? The third time? Maybe the fourth time? Yeah. It don't just happen. And the first time you ironed something, did it turn out right? And the first time, let's see. Yeah, you worked on a car. Did it turn out right? Oh, I hope it did. Maybe somebody was helping you. You know, the first time you sewed something, did it turn out right? The first, you know, there's a lot of times, the very first time that you put your makeup on, ladies, did it, or you cut somebody's hair. <laughs> or you colored somebody's hair. Did you ever color somebody's hair and it turned out the wrong color? Look at, well, ladies are just going, where's Janet? Look at her. I won't tell it, Janet. I've known her too long. But you, you know, the very first time or two you did something, you didn't want anybody to see it, did you? First time you baked a cake or something. It just didn't turn out right, did it? You know, the first diaper you changed. Yeah. Yeah, it fell off. The first time you do something, it doesn't always turn out right. I remember, now Keith is in Samoa, right? So I'm hoping he can't hear and see what I'm saying, okay? But the first sermon Keith preached, I scared everybody, the screens went out. So Keith surely can't hear me. Huh? Okay, I'm still on, shucks. The first sermon Keith preached. No, I'm just kidding. I'm glad I'm still on. Um, We went to this church, and they asked him to speak. And we were very young. We were married, but we were very young. And he had his notes, and he had everything he was going to say written out word for word. Okay? So he preached like this. Here's the pulpit. He preached. And, and, and then he'd move his finger down his page like this because he was afraid he'd lose his place. So he never moved from behind the pulpit. And does he do that now? No. No way. Well, what if you didn't ever train? What if you never learned? You'd never get better. So it's wise to get with people that know what they're doing. And training some things. Well, David did that and he got better. But David also, during that time, had opportunity to do something to the one he was trained under. Do you remember the story of what happened with that? Let me read it to you. Well, I'll just tell you, I'm going to try to keep from having to read so many scriptures to you because I'd like for you to read it for yourself. Okay? It does you a lot better. And I told Keith that one time. I said, you know what? We read all their scriptures to them, and they never have to read their Bible for themselves. <laughs> he said, Phil, he said, they need to know that it's in the Bible. I said, well, then tell them to go look. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all know me. You, you know, um, in First Samuel 24, verse 6, it says, He said unto his men, The Lord forbid 
that I should do anything to my master. The next part says, the Lord's anointed. To stretch forth my hand against him, seeing that he is, who's anointed? The anointed of the Lord. Now, David was not afraid of Saul. Understand the difference here. David could have killed Saul over and over and over again. He was not afraid of the man Saul. Do you understand that? He was not afraid of killing the man Saul. Do you understand that? That was not what this was about. What did he not want to do? He did not want to touch someone that God had anointed. He wanted nothing to do with going against God. He had a revelation that if God had anointed him, if God wanted him out, God could take him out. God's anointing was real to him. We live in such a society today that TV is more real to us than the anointing is. We live in such a society today that um, almost... Harry Potter witchcraft is more real to us than the anointing is. We are more scared of what the devil can do to us than what God's anointing can do for us. God's anointing was so real to David. He was not in the least bit scared of a man. It wasn't what the man could do to him. Had nothing to do with the man being against him. It was the anointing that God had put on him and in him that he refused to do anything against. He ran from Saul to keep Saul from causing him to hurt him because he didn't want to touch the anointing in Saul. And not only did he run from Saul to keep him having, to cause any problems with Saul that would mess with the anointing, look at what he did. He said in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 24, verse 7, he said, David stayed his servants with these words. The words being, he wouldn't touch God's anointing. So what that means is a good leader, a good person that knows God and a good person that knows the anointing. If they hear their people... And they're talking against another minister or someone that's anointed of the Lord or someone that has the anointing of God on them. They're not going to stand there and listen to that person talking about God's anointed. 
They're not gonna, he's not going to stand there and let his men say something bad about Saul. He's going to say, no, 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 guys. We don't touch God's anointed. You don't do that. Yeah, he's just a man, but he is anointed of God. Now, this anointing is real on him, guys. And God did this to him. God put this on him. And if God wants it off of him, God will take it off of him. But God put it on him. And God's real to us. And this anointing is real. This anointing to equip. This anointing for wisdom. This anointing to do the job that he called you to do. This anointing to minister. This anointing to heal. This anointing to do whatever he tells us to do. It's on him right now. And I can't touch him because of that anointing. And nor are you going to touch him because of that anointing. And that's what we should do. If ever we're in a situation and there's people around us and they're talking about another minister that we know is anointed of God, we should say, hey, no, 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 don't do that. Why would he say that? Why would he tell them, don't don't talk about God's anointed, don't touch God's anointed, don't do that with God's anointed? Because he's concerned for them. He's concerned what could happen to them if they start messing with God's anointed. He's concerned for their safety then. So he told him, he says, God stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up and went on his way. And that's what we should do anytime we hear someone talking about someone that we know is anointed of God. This is not... See, people think of the anointing as... And and take this right. I'm not trying to put anybody down that has a doctor's degree or a lawyer's degree or some... uh, uh, huge NASA person, you know, that's got an engineering degree that's beyond, or some computer science degree that spent decades learning and got these big degrees behind their name, or they're, you know, a movie star, or they're a, or a, whatever, some person that's so famous in the world. People put them on a pedestal, and they want their autograph. And they, they, they basically worship them. And in another sense, they almost honor them. And they reverence them. Look, at, did you see who it was? Did, did you see who it was? Some high politician or some this or some that? Sports. Oh, my. But let an anointed, an anointed, an anointed, say that with me, an anointed man of God or woman of God come in. They will get up 
give this sports person their place or, or invite them someplace or do this or do that or, or this other person. But let an anointed man of God come in and they'll say bad things about them. They'll do just the opposite. And if we don't watch it, what will happen is we as a church, ashamed of... the anointing ashamed of God's anointed people will almost side in with them we'll talk positive things about the movie star or about the ball player or about this person or about that person but then when it comes to God's anointed man or anointed woman We'll side in with people that says they, they spent too much or they did this or did you hear. If you hear a minister that falls, that you know they're anointed of God, you best not say one word. You best let God deal with them. You know, Brother Hagen said he was standing in, in a circle one time and some guys were talking about this minister that supposedly, I think, I think this is the right story. Maybe I get it mixed up. I always tell a punchline or a joke first, but I think this is the right story. But these ministers were talking about this man that I think had had an affair, and they were putting him out of the church. And Brother Hagen maybe said um, some small remark or something, and later he got back to the room. And uh, the Lord jumped, I think he said, really jumped on him about it. And he said, who are you to judge another man's servant? He said, and the, he said, Lord, I didn't, I didn't say anything about him. But he said, the way that you responded meant that you agreed with them. And that's basically what happens a lot of times. We are judging God's servant. If God called somebody and anointed them, whose servant are they? So is it our place to judge if they fall? Or our place to judge if they're not doing it the way we thought they ought to do it? Are they going to answer to us? Absolutely not. So that's what David was doing. He was God's anointed. So let's read Luke 4.18. It said, and I think you all know this, in the King James, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. I put a question there. Why is the Spirit of the Lord on me? Why would he put his Spirit on Jesus? Why? Because he anointed him. God anointed him. Even Jesus. Jesus himself couldn't anoint Jesus. Read the next part. Because he has anointed me. God himself had to anoint Jesus. Jesus could not anoint Jesus to preach the gospel. And the next three words say what? He has sent me. Who sent him? God sent him. 
Are you getting my point tonight? It's not that we sent us. It's not that somebody else sent them. If God doesn't do it, then you're not anointed. They're not anointed. Do you understand that? I'm trying to get to somewhere. Are you hooked with me? If God did not send them, they are not sent. They just went. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So today in our society, what do we have? Do we have anybody that has the anointing on them? Are there people that are called and have the anointing on them? Is there anyone that has the anointing? In, like we said in the Old Testament, he anointed kings, he anointed priests, and he anointed prophets. Well, what do we have today that is anointed? First uh, Corinthians 12, 28 tells us. It says, here we go again. And what? First Corinthians, it's on the screen. And who? And who? And mom, brother, aunt, cousin, husband, your wife called you to the ministry. Has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, then helps, then governments, then diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, this is what I want to get to. Brother Hagen told us years ago, some of you may recall, he used to say, they're substituting brass for gold. How many of you remember him saying that? Several people do. And I just couldn't get that out of my mind, but I couldn't figure out. I kept saying, God, how does that work with this anointing? I, I don't get it. And today, I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it, and, I, and it finally clicked in me. How many of you in here have ever come across somebody that was talking about healing stuff, and they were... they? call themselves ministers, but it kind of turned you off. It kind of led you in the wrong direction. It kind of didn't help you too much on your healing. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. I want everybody to see. Yeah. How many of you ever ran across somebody that, say, called themselves a minister and talk to you about being filled with the Holy Spirit and it really messed with your mind and they led you down the wrong way and it took you maybe even longer to get filled with the Spirit. Raise your hand. 
Now, here comes the fun one. How many of you ever ran across anybody that talked to you about prosperity and called themselves a minister? And you got so messed up, you thought you'd never get with a prosperity church. Raise your hand. And how many of you just talked to somebody that called themselves a minister, just anything about the things of God, and it kind of really just turned you off and you didn't want to hear anything about the things of God? Raise your hand real high. I never saw this till today. Let me read this to you, and then I'll explain it to you. Don't let me forget what I was going to tell you about it. I probably won't anyway. In the Old Testament, this is in Brother Hagin's book, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. He says, In the Old Testament, Solomon built the temple, or the house of the Lord, and he made all the utensils out of gold. Later, the gold utensils were taken out of the temple by King Rehoboam and brought brass into the Lord's house in their place. He substituted brass for pure gold. Notice that the construction in the Lord's house, the scripture says, was fashioned with pure gold. It was not only gold, but it was pure, pure gold. But brass isn't even a pure metal. It's an alloy consisting of copper and zinc. And Rehoboam substituted that for pure gold, and that had been in the temple. 1 Kings 6.20 says this, And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in height thereof, and he overlaid it with pure gold. And so covered the altar was which was of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the house with pure gold, and he made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle. And he overlaid it with gold, and the whole house he overlaid with gold, until he finished all the house. Also the whole altar, this in referring to the house of the Lord, was by the oracle, and he overlaid it with gold. Now this is Brother Hagin saying the Lord was speaking to him about this next part. As Jesus and I were standing above the crowd talking, he said to me, In this charismatic move, Christians have brought the brass of the world into the temple of the Lord and have substituted for pure gold. What they have is a mixture, and it's not even pure. Therefore, I can only bless my people so far. Because they've substituted brass for gold. Now, he was talking about this next sentence. But the Lord showed me something else today in relation to this. They brought the clapping and the dancing of the world into the temple. Now, as I was studying that, I asked the Lord, what did he mean? Bringing the brass and substituting it for gold. Because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it work. And this is what he told me. He said, what the devil is doing 
is people that have never been called of God to the ministry. Or even if they are called of God and anointed of God, have stepped into places that they shouldn't be yet. And they're actually causing more damage than they are good. Because it's causing a substitution for the anointing. Because they're saying things like, this is God when it's not God. They're saying things like, God said, when God never said. They're saying things like, God will do this for you, when God never told him, them, that he would do this for them. They're not really hearing from God. So when the true and the pure is really there, people are turning away. And they're not believing God for the true and the pure because they're seen so much unpure. They've seen so much untrue. They've seen so many people pray for people that wasn't truly God and wasn't truly anointed of God and nothing happened to where people don't even believe in healing and people praying for people for healing anymore. They've seen so many people talk to people about the things of God and things didn't happen in their life, saying, throw your medicine away or go do this and, and you're a prophet or go and take this place or go and do this and go and do that. And it wasn't God to where people are not believing in the true anointing of God. So they've substituted the pure brass things. They've substituted brass for gold. And they don't recognize God's true anointed men of God. But God said this. You'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know a tree by its fruit. And quit following people that have no fruit. And if a person tells you something and they call themselves ministers and there's no fruit and they don't do what Brother Hagin taught us decade after decade after decade after decade after decade and you can't look them in the eye and say, where's the scripture? <laughs> and they can't prove it to you by two or three witnesses, then you need to run as fast as you can. Just because a person tells you they are anointed of God and they are called of God is no sign that they are anointed of God and called of God. Anybody can say they're called of God. But you need to look at the fruit that follows that person. A true person called of God will be looking out for your benefit, not their benefit. Amen. 
a true anointed person of God will constantly be looking to raise you up and not them up. They won't be looking for their benefit. They will be looking to help you and not them. They will be looking for things and ways to benefit you and help you. Answers for you. They won't be constantly building their self up. Every story they tell won't be something that makes them look good. It'll be stories about the Word and things that's building up God and things that's building up Jesus. That's the anointing. If they can't prove it to you by the Word... in the mouth of two or three witnesses, then you need to question the call and the anointing on their lives. Too many people today are calling themselves anointed of God. And we're getting brass and not pure gold. And I don't know about you, but I want some pure gold. I'm ready to see some miracles happening in the church again. I'm ready to see some people get set free instantly again. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen over and over again. I've seen, I have seen it over and over again. I've seen the Lord use people and I've seen people get set free. I've seen people be called out and tumors disappear. I've seen growths disappear. I've seen cancer go away. But we cannot pretend like something is the anointing when it's not. We can't be letting everybody say, I'm called and I'm having this meeting at my house and I'm having this thing here and I'm having this thing there when God didn't call them. Not everybody is called and anointed of God. And some people should be in churches helping people and not trying to start ministries of their own. Because what's happening is we're losing the... It's like a a woman of God told me one time, we were praying, and if I called her name, you'd know who she is. She was... One of the old-time prophet ladies that was here for decades, and and a lot of people know her, and we were praying in my home one day. And um, this has been 20 years ago. And she looked at me one day, and she said, Don't let your smoke out of the bottle too soon. And I thought, What? What? And man, I had to ponder that for a long time. But you know what? I got it. It took me decades, but I got it. I was blonde. (laughs) But you know what? Smoke, when it's thick, you can't see through it. But when you let it out, it kind of starts dissipating. And it don't have the impact that it has if you, if you just keep it condensed and you let it all out at one time. 
But if you just let it out, a little trickle here, a little trickle there, a little trickle here, a little trickle there, don't have the impact. But if you do it when God tells you to do it, and it's in there, and you just pull that top, and all that smoke goes out at one time, well, it's like taking a, a lid off of a pan. If it's been kind of sizzling out the side, it's not too much smoke in there. But if you've got a really hot boiling pot and you let it off, you ever steamed your hands? Yeah. Don't let your smoke out of the bottle too fast. And I think that's what the church has been doing. They've been going to this person to pray for them, and they've been going to this person, and this person says, I'll lay hands on you. And this person says, I'll pray with you. And there's absolutely no anointing. Yes, believers can lay hands on people in faith, but make sure you're in faith. If, you don't, if you're not even in faith with somebody when you're praying for them, don't pray for them. If you can't be in faith with them, don't pray with them. We've taught our staff that. And if somebody comes up to us and he said, Mike says, um, believe with me that I could get a new wife. I'm not going to believe with him that he's going to get a new wife and share. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to say, yeah, I'll believe with you. No, I'm not going to believe with him. But people want to show somebody else how spiritual they are, and so they go, yeah, Shonda, Runda, yes, so, so, wife, 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 yeah, she's mean to you. Yes, yes, go, glory to God, wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. And so then people are going away and they're baby Christians and nothing's happening and nothing's happening. Nothing is happening. And so they run across somebody else and, and this person's here and they're a new baby Christian and, and she's, you know what, I, I've had real issues with headaches. I've had real issues with headaches. Will you pray and agree with me? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Headaches go in Jesus' name. <laughs> believing that her headaches are going to go. They never think about it again. They didn't pray. They didn't look up a scripture. They don't know nothing about the power of God. They have no anointing on them. Her headaches don't go. They don't think about it again. And the same situation is the same today, tomorrow, and she never goes to church again because she says, that stuff don't work. Don't work. It said, believers. You've got to be believing something for the anointing to work. If you can't agree with somebody when you pray, it says agree together as touching something. When they ask, those words actually mean something. If you can't agree that she's going to get a new house, you shouldn't pray with her she's going to get a new house. If you think, she's missing it, but I'll pray with her. Don't pray with her. It hurts your faith. It hurts her faith. And it just hurts the body of Christ as a whole. Because what we're doing is we're substituting brass for gold. Then we can't, you know, and I'm going to maybe get into it next week some about the corporate anointing. But right now we're talking about individual things. If you're not called to do those things, you shouldn't be doing them because you're just hurting people that are called. And so then when you get into a service, you know, 
what I really think is there's a lot of times, Dave's sitting right here, he and I a lot of times will pick up on what Keith's going to speak on. Dave, a lot of times, will pray about it on Wednesday night when he's praying in Branson. And he'll, he'll look at Keith or he'll look at me and say, I'll pray that exact scripture. How many times does that happen? Lots of times. Lots of times. And we're on the same page. Or we'll get the same thing. Or we're saying the same thing. But it doesn't mean that when I get up there to do it or I got something in my heart or, or I pick up something that Keith's going to do, I don't let the smoke out of the bottle of what he's going to lay the whole foundation and teach on for the whole night. Because really what should be happening is we as a corporate group should be believing and we should really all be picking up on what Keith's going to teach on. And we should just say, bring it on, bring it on, make it good for us so that if there's somebody in here that's going to die next week, I mean, they can't sit in a chair in here without the anointing just coming on them and, and it driving it out. We shouldn't have sick people. We shouldn't have oppressed people. We shouldn't have hurting people. We shouldn't have down people. But what's happening is people are saying, I'll pray with you. You won't be oppressed anymore. Really? How many people you prayed with that really got delivered? Let's talk about that. Okay, let's look at a scripture here. Here we go. Am I stepping on some toes tonight? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Let's see where it is. If I can find it. Um, Mark 9. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying to him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore. And he came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his, di his disciples... Uh, say that with me. His what? Disciples. His what? Disciples. His disciples asked him privately. What's the next verse? Why? Why couldn't we do this? And he said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and and fasting. Have you ever seen some ministers with a stronger anointing than others? Yes. Have you ever seen some people that have had a stronger anointing to teach? Yes. Have you ever seen some ministers that have a stronger anointing to minister healing? Yes. Have you ever seen some people with a stronger anointing for uh, Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You ever seen that? That's because God has anointed them in those areas. And Brother Hagin used to say this all the time. We should defer to the stronger anointing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we should learn to do as the body of Christ. We should be deferring to the stronger anointing so that we can get the best results. We should be deferring to whoever has the highest anointing to get the best results. Mm -hmm. I know. 
I know some of these people that have these stronger anointings on their life. They don't go play golf until 5 o'clock and then jump in the pulpit. They don't go out and ride their motorcycle till 10 minutes to 7 and then jump in the pulpit and preach. They don't go do things and watch TV all day and then jump in the pulpit and preach. These people that have the stronger anointing on their life, they do live separated lives. They study. They pray. They fast. They hear from God about what they're going to do. Brother Oral Roberts, I mean, he wouldn't talk to anybody after a certain time of the day. My husband has told us how many times we have to cut it off. If we're going to speak, you don't talk to anybody after this time. You don't text. You don't call. You don't do nothing. If you're speaking, that's it. You're done. I don't care if the house is burned down, you go someplace else. If you're speaking that night. We don't play with the anointing of God. We don't play with the things of God. Too many people want the best things of God, but they don't want to pay the price that it takes to get the best things of God. But they want to perform the things that the ministers that have, have paid the price to get them. I know, even, you know, just the little time that we've been in the ministry, you know, I've, with our stuff, you know, in natural things, it works the exact same way. You'll relate to this. Like running our ministry. For decades, I would, every morning, wake up, pray for hours. Then what I would do is I'd contact Dave, and I'd say, tell this person to do this. The Lord said, do this. Tell this person to do this. The Lord said, do this. Tell this person to do this. The Lord said, do that. Tell this person to do this. The Lord said, do that. But I don't do that as much anymore because I've handed that off to him and to Tom and, and to different ones. They are supposed to be doing that now. They're supposed to be getting up in the morning and praying and saying, the Lord said, do this. The Lord said, do that. And that's the way it is supposed to be in every area of each person's life. Same thing with the youth. Man, I would spend hours before uh, youth services and stuff praying for each individual youth. I'd be praying for what's supposed to happen in every youth service. I'd spend the mornings. I'd spend half a day. I'd say, Lord, what are they needing? What's going on in their lives? Just endless time praying for the services. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to do that? What, how are they doing in school today? What's going on? Just, Lord, show me how this is happening with them. What's happening with them? Where are they at? What are they doing? What are, you know, text them. What, you know, they'd come on your heart. You'd check on them. Praying for the youth all the time. And I still pray for the youth, but I can't be the one that's the one responsible for, for praying for them individually now because I'm not the one in there with them all the time. And if you want the results with the youth, what do you have to do with the youth? You have to put forth the effort. You have to be the one that serves the time. It's not about just getting in the pulpit and saying, okay, this is what the Scripture says today. What happens with true ministry and the anointing is what goes on behind the scenes way, 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 way more than the 30 minutes in the pulpit. 
And so what I want us to do, what I would like for us to do as a church here, the people on the Internet, the people in, <coughs> in Branson, Brother Hagen used to say this all the time, and this is what my heart is mm, hungering for. He would say it so much. He would say, if people are looking, and I wrote it down because it came just as clear to me today, so I don't want to say it wrong. Let's see. Brother Hagen used to say it this way. He would say, looking to a man for things limits that man. In other words, if Keith is up here and you're looking to him for answers, you're limiting him. But if you're looking to the anointing and you're looking to God, Keith didn't anoint Keith. Who anointed him? Who gave him the spirit of wisdom in him to even minister anything that he would ever minister? God. Who called him? Who would give... If he were to ever give anything out, where would it have had to come from? God. So it would be that you shouldn't be looking to him anyway. Who should we be looking to? God. Totally and completely to God. So Brother Hagin would say this, looking to a man limits that man. Looking to God takes the limits off that man. Do you see that? Looking to God takes the limits off of that man. So that's what I want us to do as a church here, internet people, the church in Branson. I want us... As services come, I want us to think about the anointing. I want us to think about God anoints the ministers that are in the pulpit. God is the one that does it. God is the one that told Samuel to anoint David. God is the one that tells Jesus, go and uh, spittle on that guy's eyes and, and his eyes will be healed. God's the one that said, turn the water into wine. He couldn't have done anything without him. Without God, we can't do anything. Unless He tells us to do it, we're totally useless. Without Him, we, we are useless. We can't cook a biscuit without Him. I'm serious. But with God, with God, let me read you this verse. Zechariah 4, 6. Then God answered and spake unto me, saying... This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And what that means is, not by human power, not by human might, but by God's spirit is how everything is won, is by how everything is changed, it's by how every answer comes. It's by Him being able to get the answers that you need for next week. It's by Him getting the answers that we need for victories, for healings, for, uh, you know, uh, salvations, for whatever we need. It's by the anointing of God. Isaiah 10, 27, we all know this. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day, 
that the burden shall be taken off of your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck and it'll be what? Destroyed because of the anointing. Not because of a man, but because of the anointing. The anointing will destroy everything that's bad in your life. Not any man, but the anointing. So how many of you believe with me for the anointing? How many of you believe that we see stronger anointing? And how many of you believe with me that we'll quit seeing brass and we'll start seeing gold? You know, as I read that again, I have a pet peeve. And Keith says, Phil, you probably shouldn't say that. But I, I do, you know. I think in the Lord is zero darkness. And I know we've had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions about why we don't turn our lights off during praise and worship. I'm going to tell you why. You want me to tell you why? Anybody want to know why? Because the Lord didn't tell us to. That's exactly why. And you know what? I can't substitute brass for gold. I can't go the world's way of doing things. In the Lord, there is no darkness. And I don't want to go the way of the world. You know, I, I can't do what he didn't tell me to do. And I'm looking for the anointing. And if he says, do something, you know what? I will be the very first to do it. But he didn't tell us to do that. And I have never been one just to follow something somebody else does because somebody else is doing it. When he tells us to do it, I'll do it quicker than anybody but he ain't told me to do it and you know what you shouldn't do anything that anybody else does just because they're doing it you'll lose everything you got if everybody goes and jumps off a bridge you're going to go jump too no you should listen to what God tells you to do and follow the anointing in your life you have the Holy Spirit in you that's his unction that's his anointing and you should be following it stand to your feet with me We'll get into some more next week. I am, can you tell, I got full of this. I am just believing God that he's going to bring it out just exactly the way that he wants it. Because his anointing is very precious. It is a holy thing. And I don't think that people should be able to just take it and say they're anointed and abuse his anointing. I want it to be the true, holy, glorious anointing of God. And I want people to be able to be ministered to in the way that he wants them ministered to. So what I want to do right now is I want to sing that last song that we sang at the beginning of the service. It's the anointing. And I want us just to leave here singing that. But I don't want us to leave too quickly. I'll tell Dave when he can come up and dismiss you. I want us just to close our eyes. And I want us to 